Resterney Radio presents Genesis, Volume 1 of Commentaries on the Pentateuch by Rusus John Resterney, narrated by Jeremy Walker, produced with permission by the Chalcedon Foundation. Chapter 7, Marriage, Genesis 2, 21-25 And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. Then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Genesis 2, 21-25 what was implicit earlier in Genesis 2 now becomes explicit. Adam had heard and understood God, and he had named the animals. He was created a speaking person. Now in verse 23, Adam names his wife and says that she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In brief, Adam was no grunter. He was created with knowledge and the ability to speak. This at once divides the Bible from all humanistic doctrines of origins. Man is not a higher ape who develops speech out of his grunting habits. Adam was no grunter. He was created to speak and to sing, and his abilities were not primitive, but superior. Being unfallen, he was better than were all his physical and intellectual abilities. This fact accentuates the horrors of the fall. Again, it tells us much about the fallacies of modern education. The child is not a primitive, but a fallen specimen of a great creation. Our potentialities as children and adult are far beyond our imagination. Our text is basic to the doctrine of marriage. Marriage was not established by God to be a perpetual war zone. Male and female were not created to be in conflict, but in harmony under God. For a man or a woman to view the other with distrust is to create serious problems. This does not mean, as sinners, men and women do not do wrong and create trouble for themselves and for one another. If, however, their direction is godly, even their sins and shortcomings can be used to bring them closer together. Romans 8.28 In verse 24, God's summation of the marital life is given, Quote, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Unquote. Very obviously, the woman leaves her family to unite with her husband and his family. This has very often meant moving into another community and becoming a part of her husband's larger family. In our time, the man after marriage very often remains closer to his family, in the same business or farming the same or nearby farm. Although still physically close to his family, he must see himself and his wife as a new family. Emotionally and psychologically, he must leave his parents and cleave unto his wife, even though Genesis' his parents still live next door. The Hebrew word for cleave means to cling, to be joined to, stick, to be joined together. The husband is commanded to have a new loyalty. The wife is to be a helpmeet, verse 20. This is an interesting term. The Hebrew word for helpmeet 
comes from the root word meaning to surround, protect, or aid. R. Payne Smith commented, quote, She is described as, quote, a helpmeet for him, unquote. A help is his front, his reflected image, or as the Syriac translated, a helper similar to him, unquote. The man must cleave to his wife in order to have her as a helpmeet. Quote, and they shall be one flesh, unquote. This means to become a community of life. The man and the woman remain two separate persons, and yet a oneness ensues. In time, biologists may discover the ways in which marriage creates some kind of physical unity. One flesh has ramifications far beyond anything we are currently able to comprehend or are willing to try to understand. Because of our emphasis on individuality, we are unwilling to explore all the avenues of physical and spiritual unity. Adam describes something of this meaning, quote, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh, unquote, verse 23. According to Herbert E. Ryle, quote, This is now the equivalent of here at last, unquote, bone of my bones, means that the structure of her life is like mine, given to the service of God the Creator. Adam had come to know his calling and his place in God's creation. He quickly found in Eve a like dedication. She was thus truly a part of him, physically and religiously. There was a joyful community at once apparent. Quote, flesh of my flesh, unquote, means a community of life. Bones are the structure, the skeleton, whereas flesh is the living tissue. Adam found the fullness of his life in serving God with a woman in the happy communion of marriage. They were, the two of them in the Garden of Eden, quote, naked, and were not ashamed, unquote, verse 25. Because sin had not yet entered the world, their sexuality was innocent. They lacked any guilt before God and were hence without shame. Shame is the, quote, correlative of sin and guilt, unquote. Shame destroys a person's inner harmony and supplants it with a sense of disgrace and fearfulness. It is a loss of God's favor and a loss of esteem before one's fellow men. The Old Testament depicts the crowning shame as idolatry. Jeremiah 2.26, Isaiah 42.17, 44.11, etc. Shame also means the exposure of our guilt. Psalms 25.3 tells us, quote, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Unquote. Other texts on shame include, quote, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Unquote. Psalms 119.6 And, quote, Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. Unquote. Psalms 119.80 And, quote, they shall be ashamed, and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion. Together they are makers of idols. Unquote. Isaiah 45, 16. And, quote, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from thee shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Unquote. Jeremiah 17, 13. On the other hand, Romans 10.11 tells us, quote, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, unquote. an emphasis made also in Joel 
2.26-27, and Romans 5.5 and 9.33. Shame is a consequence of the fall, and it is common to all mankind, although its manifestations may vary greatly. It is even apparent among animals that are close to people. In the late 1970s, our German shepherd, Juno, quite old and failing, was aroused late one night when I entered the house. She charged me, barking savagely. On discovering her mistake, she ran off ashamed to hide. According to E.G. Ames, quote, shame involves a sense of unworthiness and demerit, unquote. Shame is the awareness of exposure, disgrace or failure, or a fearfulness that it is about to occur. Adam and Eve, quote, were both naked and were not ashamed, unquote, verse 25. They had nothing to hide mentally or physically because they were not fallen. Their innocence was total because their faithfulness to God was total. We began with the fact that Adam was no grunter. He was a speaking, totally coherent man. It was the fall that brought about physical and mental evasion and coverings. Both Adam and Eve evaded the fact of their guilt so that their hiding from God was mental, moral, and physical. Modern man sees his origins in prehistoric grunters. As a result, his whole life is one of evasion, the evasion of the moral context of all life. His lies and evasions cannot cover the reality that he is God's creation and totally responsible to his Maker. The context of human life is God's calling. This calling is addressed to all men and women as their helpmates in that calling. If man were no more than an advanced grunter, any sexual coupling with member of the opposite sex would be acceptable. But man is a creature made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26-28, and his calling is to develop that image and exercise dominion under God. This means that unequal yoking, which is forbidden by Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6.14, is wrong. The unequal yoking can be with respect to the faith, also with respect to talents and age, although exceptions here are possible in the case of the latter two. If a marriage is contracted prior to conversion, and no trouble is made if one partner converts, then the marriage is to continue. But if the unbeliever departs, then the believer is free.